So let me ask you guys a question. It's, it's January 13th. How many people in this room uh, since, you know, the end of December, first week or so of January, how many people have like set some goals, made some resolutions? Anybody in this? Okay. So a, a few of us, not all of us, but a few of us. Uh, I, you know, I don't know if you know the statistics on this, but by January 13th, any goals and resolutions that you made on January 1st are in, are in desperate straits of being abandoned, right? There's a, there's a short shelf life on resolutions. They just kind of, we make them around January and then they just kind of fall away, usually by the 8th, before the 10th. And uh, I am no, uh, no different from you guys that have made these. I don't call them resolutions, but the end of December, January, I always take a, an opportunity to kind of look at my life figure out where I want to go in, in the next uh, coming year. And as I was doing this, we thought we would do this exploration of this season and call it First Things First and literally talk to you guys who like to make goals and like to make ev evaluations of your life and talk to you about how you can make these resolutions last beyond the first 10 days of January. Because I'm no expert at math, but like there's 355-ish days after January 10th to live. And so if you're a person that, that says, listen, I want my life to be about something. I want to move forward some ways. How do you do it? And uh, so we've been taking uh, some time to do this. Last week, we started off with just some concepts that we explored. Today, we're going to talk about another one. And then next week, just to let you know, we're going to talk about what the organization, the community of E3, where we're going in uh, 2019 and then we're actually going to go back to challenging you guys in the, in the weeks after that of how you can live lives like in response to what God's doing in the world. So um, if you were here last week, I want to give you a little bit of a refresher for those of you who are looking to uh, make some changes or move forward in your life. I said, you got you to know at least three concepts and we walked through them. You, yes, you were designed for impact and influence in God's world. If you remember, we went through the Bible and we talked about like everyday people in the Bible. We like to think that the Bible is full of like these superstars and King Davids and Peters and Pauls and that they were the ones who did all the cool things, but the Bible is full of everyday people who just used where they were at and what they were given to make some changes. And then we talked about the idea that there's nothing wrong with pursuing a fulfilling, exciting vocation job life. And if you remember, we talked about, listen, this is not about uh, being a superstar. It's not about uh, the, the, the fulfillment coming in the face of some, like, listen, great job promotion or, or very influential public, public figure. Fulfillment can come in any vocation, any job, anywhere. It's just the idea of, like, does God want you to be miserable every day at work? Or can fulfillment and contentment happen? Even in, like, the job that you're like, man, there's no way. And I think, yes, it can. And then we talked about to, to build a life of impact and fulfillment, you need force multipliers, things that enhance your effectiveness in your life. And this just really boils down to the idea of like, if you want to move forward in your life, if you want impact and influence, you can't cross your fingers, sit down and just wait for it to drop into your lap. You need things that multiply your gifts, multiply your passions. And we talked about how for most of us, Force multipliers are our habits and the systems with which we live our lives. And so if you want to change or you want to increase your impact uh, and, and, and influence, you have to leverage your habits. Now, I also told you last week that there was a fourth concept 
that we were going to explore. And if you guys remember, I did a little teaser. And I said, the fourth concept involves tying, uh, connecting three things, a folding chair, some protein drink, and a box of Ritz crackers. Anybody figure it out over the week? That's good, because this would be completely useless for you. Anyway, so I want to uh, connect these dots and explore what they have to do with this fourth uh, idea. See, um, if you lived in San Diego, California, uh, just a few short years ago, uh, in November, they host a race that's called the San Diego One Day. Now, I don't know if you guys are aware of this. There's a group of people out there that are slightly maybe twisted in the head. They, uh, they run ultra marathons, okay? Marathon is 26.3 miles. Ultra marathons, 100 miles or more. Well, that's if you want to take it easy. I run the point through. I'm kidding. So, uh, so ultra marathons, 100 miles or more, okay? The San Diego One Day is an ultra marathon. It is a 24-hour race of a one-mile circuit. So you start running in a neighborhood, and you run for 24 hours, and the goal is to complete at least 100 miles uh, within uh, that 24-hour period. Now, the San Diego One Day is also what they call an unsupported race. So what that means is uh, they don't provide a lot of infrastructure for the runners. If you want a team of people to support you, you know, masseuses, I mean, running an ultramarathon is a big deal. If you want a team, you have to bring the team yourself. So it's unsupported. Now, if you were there on November, just a few short, and that's November day, a few short uh, years ago, you would have seen a man start to run the race. And, uh, and he would, it was a, a fairly tall African-American guy, and he, and he started off running, and he was running with the leaders. Very, very strong, very, very strong. At about uh, mile 50, he starts to fall off uh, the, the pace a little bit. And uh, you would have seen that his race strategy consisted of a lawn chair, a folding lawn chair, some protein drink, and a box of rich crackers. So by mile 50, what he would do is run the circuit one mile, then he would sit down in the lawn chair, take a sip of his protein drink, take a, eat, a, eat a rich cracker, and then he would get up and go again. Now, if you're a runner at all, you know that this nutrition program is not going to work. <laughs> protein drinks and rich crackers are not going to work very well. And sure enough, at mile 70, he's a wreck. He is a wreck. He's sitting down and literally his body is shutting down. Because protein drinks, like, you remember milk is a bad choice? It's the same principle. Like, you don't run with protein drinks. You run with hydration and water and electrolytes, right? And rich crackers, oh my gosh, please. So he is a mess. And he can barely get out of his chair, you know, and... And he's sitting there, and uh, he's got his wife is there, and uh, it looks like he cannot go on, and and rightfully so, but he stands up, and he begins to just labor forward, to just labor forward, but it is, it's it's an ugly sight, and if you've ever been around racing communities, you know like when your body shuts down, I mean it, it can be a nasty thing to watch, so. Uh, 
what I, what, what I want to use that for is the idea that, um, that the, so I'm just going to tell you, here's the fourth concept. The fourth concept is this. To go beyond the life that you lived in 2018, you must embrace the concept of discomfort and or suffering. If you want to live a life beyond what you've experienced to this point, expect discomfort and suffering to be a part of your reality. And we're going to explore, we're going to explore this story uh, in just a moment, but I want to kind of walk you through the, what the Bible has to say about this concept. Uh, but before we do that, I want to put a very clear caveat out there that when I'm talking about suffering, uh, I need to make sure that I address a group of people in this, in this room, um, and this is going to get pretty heavy really fast. When I say suffering, I don't mean abuse. Right, I, we, we have to clarify out from the outset of what uh, is healthy suffering and unhealthy suffering. There is unhealthy suffering that is inflicted on you through a variety of, of, of situations. It might be a health thing. It might be a relationship thing. And all I can say to you is like, listen, um, sometimes don't, don't be willing to be stuck in something that's destructive and abusive. That is not what we're talking about here today. What we're talking about here is comfort versus growth. And how do you see life change? You want impact and influence. You want fulfillment. You've got your force multipliers, but what are you willing to go through to see it happen? That's the type of suffering and redemptive suffering that we're talking about. And let's be honest, I'm no different from you guys. I have set a lot of goals in my life. And at some point, I've abandoned a lot of goals in my life. Why? Because goals and moving forward is hard. Raise your hand if you've ever abandoned a goal because you just got tired of it. It's just too hard. Yeah. Those, the rest of you guys are lying through your... You're just lying. <laughs> lying, lying. So let's be honest, okay? Let's be honest. When we try to do something that's difficult, a lot of us will, will do a multitude of alternatives. Rather than suffer, we will numb ourselves. We will escape the pain. Why? Because pain hurts. And there's just a natural thing. We're like, nobody likes to suffer. So we will, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll binge the Netflix. We'll, we'll eat the convenient food. We'll have the surfacey conversations. We'll take the easy way out of a, a variety of different goals because it's just hard. Some of us uh, will also just give up. We'll just say, man, I just don't feel like it anymore. It's, I don't know if it's worth it. And then uh, I think some of us will in addition, kind of like adopt the attitude of like, and that's not for me. I will never change. I can never change. That goes for just special people that are capable of changing. So when we get confronted with pain, we have a variety of different options before us, uh, in front of us to opt out of it. And what I want to kind of like encourage you guys and challenge you guys today is like there is a biblical thread about this and I want you to be aware of what you're missing if you opt out and maybe how to stay in it if you want to. So um, I want to tell you that there's going to be a lot of scripture at some point just like flying at you uh, and it's going to feel like drinking from a fire hose, but we're going to land with something that's pretty simple. But for the next period of time, like there's just going to be a lot coming, okay? So um, 
I want to start off with just a simple statement that I want to unpack. And, and the statement is this, like, whenever you are exploring something new, new territory, new ideas, new dreams, it is no surprise that it can feel scary and risky. Anybody ever felt scared about like something new that they were doing in their life? Okay, it's, this makes complete sense. Now, we've been, we've been uh, dealing with this same scripture for the last couple of weeks about these spies that are sent out to investigate the land of Canaan. Now, the situation is this. Uh, God has set his people free uh, from oppression in Egypt, and they are at the border of this promised land that God has said, listen, I'm going to take you to this place. And they've come to the border. And then he says, listen, send out 12 spies to go investigate the land. All right. And so this, this is what uh, is going on. We heard it in the scripture reading, but I'm just going to read it again. Moses sends these guys out to explore the land of Canaan. And he says, listen, go up there into the arid southern plain and into the mountains. Inspect the land. What's it like? Are the people who live in it strong, weak, few, many? All right. So right off the bat, like these guys are going into a foreign territory and they're spies. So like it doesn't take any sort of like, it doesn't take a seminary degree to know, like that's probably a little bit nerve wracking. But there's something else going on that I didn't, I've never noticed until this year. And let me, let me show you what I mean by that. There's another level of fear and risk involved in this. Um, in a, a few chapters prior to this, there's a critical dynamic you have to understand about what's going on with God's people. They have this tent this thing called the tabernacle, where God's presence lives. It resides in the tabernacle. And uh, this is the way God's people move through the desert. In uh, Numbers uh, chapter nine, it says, the day that the dwelling, the tabernacle was erected, this cloud covers the dwelling, the covenant tent. And at night until morning, the cloud appeared with lightning over the dwelling. It was always there. The cloud covered it by day, appearing with lightning at night. Now listen, this is, the, this is the part. Whenever the cloud ascended from the tent, the Israelites did what? They marched. And the Israelites would camp wherever the cloud settled. At the, clouds, at the Lord's command, the Israelites would march, and at the Lord's command, they would camp. As long as the cloud settled on the dwelling, they were camping. When the cloud lingered, they would linger. When the cloud got up and moved, guess what? They would what? Get up and move. So um, God's people get to the edge of the promised land, and Moses is like, hey, guys, listen. All right, got 12 dudes. I need you to go out and go investigate this land. And being a spy is kind of scary. That's okay. Just do it. But what do you, so this is the way God is leading his people around the desert with this cloud and this, and this pillar of fire at night. And they can always look and go, oh man, this is kind of freaky stuff. We're walking around the desert, but guess what? There's God's presence, right? And when God moves, we're going to move. But what did Moses just say? He just said, oh, you know what? Uh, we're going to stay here with the tent, with God's presence. You guys, go for it. What do you think it felt like to those guys to look back and to go, we're going without the presence of God. Like the fire and the clouds back there. And you're telling us to go away from what feels comfortable and right and safe. So if you've ever done anything new, if you felt like, man, I don't even, man, this feels risky and it feels uncertain and a little bit scary, I'm just going to say, great, you're in, 
maybe the right spot. Because these guys probably went through the same exact thing, for even deeper for them, because they're like, and we can look at God's presence as we're walking away from it. How do you think that felt to them? We are leaving behind the visible presence of God to go exploring as spies. Woo! Who's, who's signing up for that? So, it's risky in and of itself. Now, they go and they investigate it. And we're going to go back to the scripture uh, that, that uh, Avis read for us. Uh, Numbers 13, verse 30. I love this. Uh, Caleb calms the people before Moses, which what's that tell you about the people? They were not calm. This is Bible 101. If Caleb had to calm the people, it's because the people were freaking out about the report of this land. And Caleb's like, no, 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 let's calm down, people. And then he says, we must go up and take possession of this land because we are more than able to do it. And then it goes on to describe the land again and these big like warriors that they were gonna have to face. Now, here's what I love about this. You know what Caleb doesn't say? Caleb never says that the reports aren't true. Caleb never says, oh, don't worry, those guys really aren't that big. Never says it. The way I read it, Caleb's like going, yeah, they are actually that big. <laughs> yeah, we're like grasshoppers. What's he just say? He just says, we've got to go do it. And this is where this idea of, of uh, discomfort and risk and fear and maybe a little bit of suffering involves with growth and new things. They're right there on the border of, of the promised land. And Caleb goes, yeah, there's giants. I'm not going to tell you they're not. It's going to be risky and scary and hard, but we must go do it. And anything new in your life, anything new that's worthwhile is going to feel like that. It's going to feel scary. It's going to be like, can somebody just tell me it's going to be easy? No, <laughs> they shouldn't. It's probably going to be hard. And if you opt out of it, you know what? You're going to be just stay, you're going to stay on the borderline of the promised land. You can just stay there. But God says, no, we're we have to go up into this new thing, this new territory. So, um, Caleb says it's going to be hard. And I think sometimes as people of faith and as sometimes even the Christian church, we sell people a, a, a funky bill of, of goods by saying, listen, life's going to always be rosy. As long as you follow Jesus, everything's going to be great. Guys, that's not what the Bible says. Caleb says, it's, we just have to go do it. And what I'm going to do now is just going to show you a bunch of scriptures in the New Testament, the second part of our Bible, that, that the writers just kind of lay it all out. They say, listen, you got to recognize what's going to come your way as a person, as a human. So uh, a guy named Paul, uh, he wrote a lot of letters in the New Testament. He's talking to a church, says, listen, my grace is enough for you. Power's made perfect in weakness. I'll gladly spend my time bragging about weaknesses so that Christ's power can rest on me. Therefore, I'm okay with weakness. I'm okay with insult. I'm okay with disaster. I'm okay with harassments and stressful situations. Like that's some of the stuff, like sometimes I think if we really get to ground level talking, we wish weren't in there. 
We wish Paul would have written, if you have deep enough faith, you won't have any insults or any harassments. They won't be there. Paul's like, no, they're there and I'm okay with them. Next slide. The author of Hebrews, Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make people holy. And so the writer says, so let's go out to the outside the city as well, to the place of suffering, to the place of rejection. Next slide. Peter, Jesus' closest follower, he says, since Christ suffered as a human, you should arm yourself with what? His way of thinking. You should arm yourself with Jesus' way of thinking about suffering. Next slide. James, Jesus' brother. Brothers and sisters, think of the various tests you encounter as occasions for joy. After all, you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let this endurance complete its work. Guys, suffering is laced through the people of God in the New Testament. Jesus himself in uh, the Gospel of Luke, I love the way he says it. Jesus says to everybody, all who want to come after me must say no to themselves. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Everybody who wants to save their life will lose it. All who want to lose their life because of me will save them. He says some version of this in every single one of the Gospels. And we've turned this a little bit too much into a Lifeway slogan. There was nothing metaphorical about this statement when Jesus made it in the first century. It was take up the symbol of execution. Take up the symbol of torture. Embrace it. Pick it up and walk with it. Suffering is going to be a part of your world. How will you deal with it? How will you go through it? Because Jesus goes through the suffering only to find that on the other side of his redemption and resurrection and new life. But I know in my life, most of the time, I'm gonna check out a suffering as soon as I get the chance. Anybody else? All right. So the New Testament, uh, this is the way I would sort of sum it up. Every author in the New Testament Jesus, in all four Gospels, Paul, Peter, James, John, the author of Hebrews, nearly every single author of the New Testament mentions the need for healthy, redemptive suffering. It's not a punishment. It's not something that you, you uh, just like, man, I guess I'm not in God's will. Suffering's gonna come your way. How will you deal with it? How will you make it a part of your growth? Anything new is going to take working and suffering. You want to run? You better go through the pain of building your mileage up. You want to uh, change your nutrition? You better go through the pain of saying no to Krispy Kreme. If you want, to, you want great relationships, you better go through the pain of having deep, awkward relationships with the people, conversations with the people that matter to you. If you want a good marriage, you better have the kind of conversations, as painful as they may be, that will lead to that. You can't wish your way into a better life. You can't. So in the last couple of minutes we have left, I want to just kind of explore how do we do it. And that, that's going to bring us back to the chair. That's going to bring us back to this situation in, uh, in November in San Diego. You see, uh, what maybe not everybody at this race realized was that the man who sat down in this chair at mile 70 was a man named uh, David Goggins. And David Goggins was a Navy SEAL. Now, uh, he, uh, he had gone through multiple 
what they call hell weeks, which is where the, it's, a, it's basically the, the, where they literally separate out the people who are going to go through SEAL training. It's, you have to stay awake for the entire week. He'd been through three of them. This is kind of the way he uh, looks like now. So um, David Goggins was a Navy SEAL, and he had been through training that had stretched his body and, and mind beyond any way that any point that he ever thought possible already. He was also an Army Ranger. He was also, if you know the military, he had also gone through uh, the training of Air Force uh, tactical controllers. Basically, he's the only person in the military that's a Navy SEAL, Army Ranger, and Air Force tactical controller. So he has pushed himself to the extreme. Now, he still made a grave error thinking he could run a 100-mile race, first of all, on protein shakes and Ritz crackers. That's not all. You see, uh, David Goggins wanted to run another ultra to raise awareness for the casualties of war in the special operations uh, community. So he called the race organizer of a race called the Badwater. Now, the Badwater, I think it's a 135-mile race, only through Death Valley, only in July. So he called him, and he said, it's November, and he said, uh, the race is in July. How can I, I want to run this race to raise awareness for the families. How can I get into this race? Because, listen, 135-mile uh, race, you have to apply to get in. The deadline was in January. They're not going to let just anybody run it. And the, guy, and the guy said, well, you've got to have some ultras on your resume. And Goggins says, fine, how do I get them? And the guy kind of smarmily replies, uh, but, oh, this is a, it's a Wednesday. And he says, well, there's, there's a 100-mile race in, on Saturday in San Diego. Let me show you what David Goggins looked like when he ran the race. He was a, a powerlifter and a bodybuilder, and he had run all of 10 miles in about a year at this point. And the guy says, there's a race in two days. And Goggins says, okay, go to Walmart, buys himself a lawn chair, box of Ritz crackers, protein shake, and he starts to run. And uh, about mile 50, he gets um, shin splints excruciating shin splints. By mile 70, he has also got stress, stress fractures in every one of the small bones of his feet. And if, you, if you're a long distance runner, he's also lost all his toenails. Eventually, he would, uh, uh, there'd be a kidney failure. His kidneys would shut down. And he sits down at mile 70 and... Um, and, and basically his race strategy up from like mile 50 to 70 is, is more or less he would run the circuit one time and then he would sit down, he would eat a cracker, take a sip of his protein drink and get up and go again. But mile 70, his body can't take it anymore. His body can't take it. It's shutting down. There's really severe things going on with him. And um, at that point, you know, they, 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 they do kind of get some water into him. His wife is, I believe, actually even a nurse. And she's like, I think we need to pursue a different nutrition strategy and hydration strategy. <laughs> and they get him some water and uh, they get him um, some better nutrition. And he stands up and he just, he starts to go again. He starts to go again. And he goes around again and then he sits down. By mile 81, um, somebody pulls him aside and says, man, you've done a great job, but you're not going to finish in time. 
There's a, there's a cap. You can only run for so long before they're just like, you have to stop. And at mile 81, you know, with the, his body what, undergoing what is going on, he finds a new level of effort and he ends up running 101 miles in 18 hours and uh, 56 minutes. He tacked on the extra mile because he wasn't sure if he had completed 100. Now, I want you to, I want to be clear. This is not about running 100 miles. It's about what David Goggins had, largely because of what he'd experienced, mostly in SEAL training, that a lot of us don't have. And that is, David Goggins knew that when his mind told him to give up, he did not have to listen to it. If anybody, if you ever watched anything about Hell Week or the Navy SEALs, they will tell you, if you complete that week, it's not about who's in the best shape. It's not about how many marathons you've run up to that point. You know what is the deciding factor with who finishes Hell Week? It's your mind. And for some of us who struggle with growing through struggle or embracing struggle to say, I want something better than what I've had, too often our mind says, you better give up now because it's too hard. And you know what we do? We go, you're right. This is way too hard. I'm just going to sit down. And uh, the, the Navy SEALs, uh, they basically, they, they've done enough of it that they were able to say, listen, they call it the 40% rule. So when your brain tells you that you're done, they would say, actually, you are 40% done with what you're capable of doing. Now, again, remember, this is not about running 100 miles. This is about when life, when you start, oh man, this is really hard. I wanted this new level of education. I wanted this new job. I wanted this new level of my relationship. I wanted this new level of spirituality. And your brain says, it's too hard. You're at 40% of what you have to give. And we all think that we have to do what our brain says all the time. I don't know if you're like me. My brain tells me to do some crazy stuff sometimes. Or my brain tells me things that are just tapes of things that are playing through my head because of my brokenness in my upbringing. But what, what David Goggins knew is that I don't have to pay attention to my brain sometimes. And I can go, there is more to give. And so standing here on the, the, the front end of, of, of 2019, I would ask you, where in your life is your 40%? Where in your life have you just said, listen, I got, I've given, my, life just tells me I've given everything, I'm done. Where are you settling, where have you just, your brain just said, you've got nothing more. Because this story tells me, no, no. Like wherever I'm at, wherever my life has said, Eric, you, you can't change. You, this is as good as it gets. I'm like, actually, I think I'm coming to believe that suffering can be a good thing if I embrace it and if I leverage the fact that there is a profound truth that A, I can endure more and B, there's this little scripture in uh, the book of 1 John that, that I just really love and it says, uh, he says, the one who is in me 
is greater than the one who is in the world. So that means this isn't just like some kind of self-help, grit your teeth and just deep in, dig in deeper. It means that part of this 40% rule means that Jesus literally, his presence inside me says, I'll be there with you. I can walk with you. I can take you the next mile. And when I want to opt out, when I want to just hit the eject button, say I've had enough, that there's another level of reality. The one who is in me and is in all of you is greater than the one who's in the world. He's greater than your troubles. He's greater than anything. And you can endure a little bit more. Now, I want to be clear. David Goggins would tell you this was an awful mistake. He would tell you this was the stupidest thing he's ever, he would tell you it's the worst suffering he's ever endured. But he would also tell you that he learned something and stretched beyond anything he ever thought was capable you know, I've just been soaking up his story. He just has a memoir that's come out and I've been reading it. Uh, and he has this beautiful quote that in, re in relation to this whole thing. And he said, listen, on the other side of suffering, um, well, if you continue to do the things that satisfy yourself and make you happy, you will stay where you are at. On the other end of suffering is a beautiful world and that's where you find yourself. If you continue to do the things that satisfy yourself and make you happy, you'll stay where you're at. And here's the way I think I was thinking about it today. Um, let me ask you this. What part of your 2018 life do you not want to repeat in 2019? Because if you just keep doing the things that make you happy and feel comfortable to you, congratulations, you can have 2018 again for 2019. But I, for one, I believe that God's calling me forward. I believe that God has brought me up to this promised land and anything that I want new in my life, he's like, listen, it's going to feel risky and it's going to be hard. But would you rather stay in the desert on the borderland or would you rather walk into something that might feel hard and might feel difficult, but promises a reward? I don't want 2018 all over again. I don't want 2018 in my marriage. And if I have to go through the hard conversations of what it's like to like literally live with somebody for decades and decades and she knows my quirks and I know hers, but we push past them, then that's it. I don't want 2018 physically. I want more. But if I just like eat what I eat, make myself happy, then congratulations, Eric, you have 2018 again. I'm capable of so much more and so and so and so are you. So uh, just before the uh, band leads us in a, a last song, I want to give you some practical things that just I gleaned from this story. So pushing past your 40%, it involves a couple things. First of all, take responsibility. At some point, you just have to say, this is where I'm at. This is my life. You can't keep lying to yourself. If your marriage is suffering, say it's suffering. If you're, if, you're, if you're suffering vocationally, say you're suffering. Just say, this is, what, this is where I'm at. Because if you keep just lying to yourself that protein shakes and Ritz crackers, we're going to be fine. <laughs> you're not. Next thing, get help. When his body shut down, he and his wife, they just reached out for people that knew how to run races and they got the water they needed. They got the nutrition we needed. Some of you guys, part of your taking responsibility says, I, actually, I need to go to see a counselor because my life is out of control. I need help in terms of friends. 
and not those friends. I need better friends. Get help. Next thing, keep moving. Look, it's going to be hard, and you're going to want to just be like, oh my gosh, I just need to sit down, and I'm just, I just need to stay. But just keep, all he did was he just moved one lap at a time, one lap at a time, one lap at a time. He did not stop moving. Keep moving forward. Quitting's always an option. If that's what you want. Next thing, um, celebrate the wins. Some of you guys uh, have convinced yourself that you can never change because you think you've never have changed. But David Goggins' story didn't end when he sat down at 70 because he would tell you, listen, I just ran 70 miles with no training. So celebrate your wins. What have you done? Not just, oh, I haven't reached the whole end of the finish line yet, but you may have come pretty far. Don't be afraid to say, man, I did finish that class. I did run that one mile. I, I don't have the six down yet, but I got the one. Celebrate the wins. And then the last thing, know your why. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And for me, I just look around and I'm like, man, because I'm not going to settle for mediocrity in my life. It's too easy. I don't want a mediocre life. But it's going to take a little pain to get something extraordinary. But I also know that the one, and this is the big why for me, it, because the one who is in me is greater than the one who is in the world. So my why is that Jesus is calling me to something special. So, um, it's a lot. I think uh, I would just ask yourself that question. What do you not want to repeat in 2019? What do you not want to repeat? Doesn't have to be perfect progress. I think the only thing that I would say not to do is just don't, don't, don't just, don't just sit down and go, I'm done. The race is still going on. If you're breathing, you can still grow. If you're breathing, you can still change. Unless you say, I'm done. There's so much more for you out there. And I know this because it's my story. It's my story. I didn't believe I could change at all. But I decided to kind of like, just kind of take a chance on God because I had no other chance. I know I had no other resources. God, I, I can't do that. I don't know what to change. And when I just kind of said, God, I need help. He kind of said, okay, let's, let's start working on it. No matter where you're at, he still wants to do more with you and in you.